Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is sports dietitian, Courtney Burling. Now, if you're a fan of the show, you may remember that Courtney was my very, very first guest way back on episode two. We talked generally about running and nutrition, and today she is back to talk about a really specific topic that is kind of a fundamental of athlete nutrition, something called the athlete plate or athlete's plate, depending on who you talk to, a tool that was developed to help active people athletes understand what the daily composition of their meals should look like according to what the demands of their day are. So it's a really fascinating topic because it really kind of is the foundation of a lot of sports nutrition. And it's a really approachable topic. It's a really easy way for a lot of people to understand how much should I be eating on any given day? What should my plate look like as an athlete? Courtney and I have collaborated on a couple different projects over the past two years, and so it was great to speak with her again, especially on this topic, which she is so passionate about, having gone through her own journey with underfueling that actually led to infertility. And you can see why she's so passionate about making sure that everybody is fueled properly, not for performance alone, but also for general health. So of course, aside from Courtney being a registered dietitian, she's also a certified diabetes educator. She's a running coach, a mom of two, and she's also a military spouse, currently living in Japan. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. There's a lot in here to unpack. You may also hear my little yappy girl Beatrice in the background on a couple different segments. So sorry about that. There are more references linked in the show notes about the athlete's plate if you want to learn more about what we are referencing specifically. So if you're feeling lost and feel like you're not quite sure what it's supposed to look like, don't worry. There are links to diagrams. Enjoy. Courtney, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Oh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. So you were the very first guest I had on this podcast and that episode kind of about the the fundamentals of athlete nutrition, like the basics of running nutrition. I think it's, I know it's one of the most popular episodes I've ever done. And I think it really helped people just give a, a baseline for, yes, you need to eat before you run. Carbs are not bad. And you and I have done some work together in the past, breaking down diet culture and ways that we can support athletes to be their healthy selves and, and have them be happy, healthy athletes. And today we're talking about this concept called the athlete's plate. I think it's a really great foundation of knowledge for people to understand a little bit more of, okay, I know I need to eat this and I know I need to eat that, but how much, when, in what proportions, and this is a, a tool that gives you a bit more guidance in creating your daily plans. Do you, do you use the athlete's plate in the clients that you work with? I definitely do. I in my program I have an entire pre-recorded module on the athlete plates because it's so important. And I love you had said something about, you know, it telling you how much to eat, but what's the best part about the athlete plate is it doesn't tell you exactly how much one person needs to eat. It's kind of vague and you can just adjust based on what's going on and who you are. So they work for everybody. A question I get a lot is about, you know, who can tell me my macros? Like I want to figure out exactly my macros and, you know, for eating. And 
more recently, I've gotten a couple questions about, I want to help figure out my macros. So I make sure I'm eating enough, which I absolutely love that question. But as you just said, you know, we may not need specific numbers. You need to eat exactly 38 grams of chicken. Like that's, that might not be the most effective way to go about your daily nutrition. It's restrictive. First of all, like, I'm not going to carry a food scale everywhere. Right. Thank you for saying that. Um, no, you're exactly right. Macros, like I don't want to discredit macro counting because there is a time and a place for macros. And it is good as athletes to check in. Are we getting enough before we run? Are we getting enough carbs? Are we getting enough carbs and protein immediately after our run? You know, what does our general day look like? But to count tedious macros every single day or to, like you said, weigh things, we don't need to be doing that. That adds so much stress. As long as we have a general idea and we're generally close, that's what's going to matter because there's still this piece of intuitive eating that athletes want to be in touch with and, you know, being able to listen to our bodies. So this concept of athlete plates, building your plate, tell us what that looks like. I don't want to give, you know, obviously too much away because this is, you know, can be very personalized and something that you will work with one-on-one with a dietitian if you choose to work with one one-on-one, whether it's Courtney or, or another wonderful dietitian. But talk us through like what this means when we talk about the athlete's plate. Yeah, great question. So um, full disclosure, I did not create these. <laughs> these, you can find them on, let's see, I have the website pulled up for you, teamusa.org backslash nutrition. So these are things that the the Olympic athletes are using, um, which I find to be, you know, it's a great resource. This page has a lot of other really good nutrition information um, that's obviously well-researched. So The athlete plates basically say if you are running, you know, an easy training day, maybe it's a rest day um, or like really light day, you're doing some yoga, um, you know, maybe you didn't do a big run. So something light, um, you know, I always think of it as like less than 30 minutes at an easy, moderate effort. Um, So this plate, then we can see you always want to go to what's my carbohydrate what's my protein? And then I always say color. So it's fruits and vegetables. And we adjust based on our intensity of exercise. So that same kind of plate, your easy day, we have just, I'm talking with my hands and I know you guys can't see me, but that's just who I am. Um, But on your easy days, the carbohydrate portion is a little bit smaller. It's about a quarter of your plate. As we increase our duration or intensity, and that's or I should say, and or intensity, because as your intensity goes up, you have to increase your carbohydrates as well. If your plate looks the same from your easy, easy days to your hard days, there's a gap there. And that's the gap we need to close. So the biggest thing that changes on these plates as our duration or intensity of our runs go up, the carbohydrate portion gets bigger and bigger and bigger on the plate and the the color or the fruits and vegetables section actually starts to decrease as our training increases. Does that help answer the question, Elizabeth? Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people are, you know, first of all, I feel like sometimes making these decisions about nutrition, it can be very challenging from a day-to-day thing. Like every single day you wake up and you have to figure out what to eat. And for some people, some days, that's like, I can't, like, I just, just tell me what to eat and I'll, I'll just eat that instead. Yeah. And 
you know, a lot of people fall into this, I want to say trap, but they think, okay, I've figured out what to eat. I don't have to make decisions about it. So they end up eating the same thing every single day, mm. not understanding that their, their needs from day to day still change. So like, yes, if your fundamentals are there, that's great. But on days when you're running 18 miles, you need to be eating more and eating differently than on a day where you did a 30 minute walk and did some foam rolling. Exactly. And not to be, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but not to be restrictive on those like lighter days. If you're hungry, always eat. Your body will always, always trump these athlete plates, like what your body is telling you. But you're right, Elizabeth, you can't expect to eat the same thing, you know, on those lower, you know, running days, lower mileage days versus those high mileage days, even if you're not hungry. And there's so it's it gets so tricky. I know you guys, it really is tricky. But when you're adding those miles in, even if you're not hungry, and I know this is the opposite of what I just said, you have to make sure you're getting enough. And that's where we sometimes have to override our body, adjust those athlete plates. We need to be fueling appropriately, especially before those long runs. And after those long runs, your body needs to prepare and restore itself by adjusting the athlete plate. And that's how we get enough nutrients in. What I love about the plates is that, I mean, and they're illustrated so well, whether it's from Team USA or, you know, a lot of other nutrition resources have their own illustrations of it, but it's the same. It's you take your plate and it's like your plate becomes a little pie chart and Mm -hmm. it's just, you divide your plate up into sections on hard days. Yeah. Like you said, half of your plate is going to be that carbohydrate, but for some people, being confronted with a plate that is half carbohydrate, that is like, they just feel, oh, I should, that's, that's way too much. I shouldn't be eating that much carbohydrate. Like what are people going to think if they see my plate and it's half rice? Oh my gosh. You know, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. And we, in my program, we talk a lot about like how to shut down diet culture and how to handle the comments you get from other people. And, you know, if somebody says something about what your athlete plate looks like that day, you can just say like something along the lines of like, well, it's a good thing I'm eating it and not you. Like this is, this is what my body needs today. Um, and chances are, if somebody is commenting on what you're eating or what you look like, it's probably really coming from an insecurity that they're holding. Um, and they're projecting that onto you. So the plate options that we have when I first started using the plates, like in, in my own nutrition, when I was like, oh, no, this is this is pretty awesome to have this resource. Some meals were easier to figure out than others because some mm-hmm. meals are like literally that my dinner plate looks like the illustration, right? All I have to do is take my dinner plate and I say, okay, today is a moderate day. I have this much carb and I have this much protein and here's my color and I have the rest of it. And it physically looks like the illustration. It can be harder though for meals that aren't you know, plated prettily like breakfast, right? Mm -hmm. How do you develop a breakfast that maybe it's in a bowl, (laughs) not on a plate? Do we using this plate method of figuring out what to eat for each meal? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, you know, I have to stress again that like, this isn't going to be a perfect science and nutrition is not a perfect science. Um, There's a lot of nuances. So don't stress over the athlete plate. That is not what this is meant to be. But let's say breakfast, you can easily just say, okay, I had a moderate run. I ran, you know, about 45 minutes at a moderate effort. Um, You know, and you can even go ahead. And if you want to in the beginning, until you get a good feel for it, you can lay it out kind of in front of you. Like I'm thinking I usually have oatmeal for breakfast. So like, okay, here's my oats. Um, You know, I've got about, you know, a, a 
half a cup or so of uncooked oats. There we go. Okay, my colors, I'm going to add some blueberries. Um, we want to make sure that there's fat in every meal. I'm going to add some peanut butter. And then you're like, okay, you know what? I'm missing some protein. You can either, I like to add protein powder into my oatmeal, or you could do an egg or two on the side. But if you kind of like lay it out in front of you just to like visually see it all, then you can mix it all together. Don't, don't mix the egg in your oatmeal, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think I discovered that you and I eat the exact same thing for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Oatmeal with blueberries and protein powder. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. You guys, that is like the secret recipe. My husband eats the exact same thing too. It's been our like tried and true easy breakfast. Well, what I love about that, and I'll go off in like a little love song to oatmeal. What I love about oatmeal specifically and this breakfast, and so anybody who's not an oatmeal fan, maybe you should be, is that you can scale it so easily depending on the day that you're having. Like on days where... I am doing more work. I make more oatmeal and maybe have a few fewer blueberries versus days where I'm like, today I'm doing absolutely nothing. Lots of color, you know, not, not a huge hefty bowl of oatmeal. Cause I'm not going on a long run today, you know, and having the ability, you may, like I said, you know, falling into the trap of eating the same thing every day. That's completely fine. Eating the same quantity of everything every day is what we want to avoid. So having these options that you can scale up or down depending on your workload that day, I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's true for any meal. Like even take a sandwich. You can like on a regular easy day, you can have a a regular sandwich. On those long run days, up it to a bagel sandwich. You know, like you can just either add another food or just like increase the quantity or like I said, like a bread versus a bagel easy. Um, And on that note too, you don't need to like cook something different from your family at dinner time. You can easily just add more rice, add, you know, if you're having lasagna, add a little bit more, add another piece of garlic bread to that meal. It's really easy to just think about what can I add into this meal, not take out necessarily, but what can I add to this meal to give me the nutrients I need to fuel my day and my training. Sometimes I find like, uh, that runners don't necessarily understand what the days are in context of the workload. Cause I've talked mm. to a, a lot of people who are like in the middle of marathon training, you probably in the middle of marathon training, you're not going to see a bunch of those rest of your easy day plates on your menu. Um, you're, you are going to be mostly moderate and hard, but I've had people say to my face, people who are running 45, 50 miles a week say, I mean, I don't know. That hard day just seems like a little bit too much. That seems like too much food. I don't think I'm working that hard. Yep. I think there's something that I like to call like intensity blindness where it becomes like all of a sudden five miles is like, well, that was nothing. Like I don't even need to do laundry after like that was nothing, you know? Um, And it's like, we start to become numb to that mileage, but that doesn't mean that our nutrition should also become numb to that mileage. So it is a good wake up call to understand that, you know, a moderate day is anything, you know, I would say in the ballpark of 45 to 60 minutes at a moderate intensity. But if you're starting to do harder work, intervals, hills, tempo work, we're going to be edging into that harder training day plate. Um, You know, in, in an easy training day, as you said, Elizabeth, is rarely in your marathon training plan, even if you ran let's say 40 minutes at an easy pace. Okay, maybe that's inching towards the easy plate, but you know what? You're still having that high metabolism and recovery needs from that long day the day before. You know, in a marathon training cycle, there even those easy days, your body still needs so much to catch up from the day before. 
Let's talk more about that rest day plate, because I think people think I, sometimes they they're looking for excuses to eat less because sometimes eating less can feel safer. Right. Yeah. So like, oh, okay. It's a rest day. I, you know, I shouldn't be eating cause I'm not moving, but yes, you ran 16, 18 miles, even anybody you were, you had your long run yesterday. You ran for a couple hours for me personally, the day after my long run, cause I personally find it hard to eat enough sometimes on my long run days to meet the needs that I have. Yeah. I know I might be hungrier than quote unquote normal the day after my long run. And if I were to restrict and say, but Elizabeth, you're not running today or you're only running for 30 minutes, you have to have your rest day plate instead. That would be detrimental to my recovery and my development. Yeah, exactly. And you can get away with that you know, every once in a while, but that's what gets you is when that becomes your cycle and your routine, that's where injury or overtraining and burnout, illness, it all can start to to really build on itself. So you're doing exactly the right thing here is you always, and I said this earlier and I'll say it again, because it's so important. You always want to listen to your body that is going to trump the athlete plate every single time. It is very normal to be hungry hungrier the day after the long run. And you know what, even two days after that long run. So sometimes you might feel like your hunger is unexplainable. There usually is a reason for it. Um, and you can also use that as a sign like, okay, I'm really hungry after my, my long run day. Maybe I didn't eat enough on my long run day. That doesn't mean restrict today. That means listen to your body and fuel up, but use that as feedback for next week on that long run day. How can I fuel better so I'm not as hungry on that rest day? I know we've talked about this before, but this is a question I still get. So I think it, it bears repeating and, and exploring some more. What is it about running that can mess with our sensations of hunger and fullness? Because I've had people tell me that they don't fuel on long runs because they don't feel hungry or people who are like, I just ran my long run and I'm not hungry the rest of the day. Why? Yeah, great question. So it's actually a hormonal response. Um, so you're Hunger hormone decreases, the hormone that tells you that your body is so hungry, decreases on these either hot weather or long runs, intense runs, starts to drop, and your satiety hormone actually increases. So it's, it is that hormonal imbalance, um, and as your core temperature is so high, food does not feel good, does not taste good. Your digestion slows down, especially like I said, on those hot long runs. Um, that's why like the thought of food after that long run almost makes you feel nauseous. Even if you ran 18 miles, you know, somebody might think you're crazy for saying that, but that's, it's scientifically proven uh, the hormonal imbalance mixed with the high core temperature. So we have to navigate that and, and override this. It's, it's so funny because I feel um, kind of wackos. And in one breath, I'm saying, listen to your body. And in the next breath, I'm saying, well, there's times that we need to not listen to our bodies. Um, and those long run days or hard workout days are the days we need to override what our body is telling us, knowing there's that hormonal imbalance and knowing your body needs this food and it's going to help your recovery. It's going to help prevent injury in the future. I like to think of this, this way of eating like the, there is an intuitive aspect to it as, but there's also like a, you know, I'm, I'm giving my body what it needs. And sometimes that's like, you know, eating the piece of candy or 
having a salad instead of a, a pizza, you know, making the choice that just feels right in the moment. But you also have to remember that like, you are an athlete. If you're listening to this podcast, you are a runner, <laughs> I assume. If you exercise on purpose, you are an athlete. And there are some situations where you have to say, you have to override your own sense of what feels this or that because you understand the demands of what you're asking your body to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's as much as I want to say we can all just eat intuitively. There's a piece of that. But we do have to use sports nutrition science and logic to also fuel our body through this. Otherwise, you may end up injured. And that's the last thing any runner really wants. I do feel like the intuitive part of sport fueling can be learned though. Like it's different from intuitive eating like the rest of the time. But for me, using, you know, the 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 tools that I know about nutrition, how to properly fuel my body, it is intuitive now to eat a certain way based on my training volume. Like that's that's become normal to me. And I expect that. Like I'm not waiting to feel a certain way. I'm like, no girl, like you just ran 18 miles. This is what the rest of your day looks like. That, that to me, there is an intuitive aspect to that because of the skill and the, and the knowledge that I've built. Yes. That I actually have never really thought about it like that. It becomes intuitive. That's perfect. And, and, you know, when a lot of the women go through my program, they're like, I feel overwhelmed by just like all the nutrition information that's out in the world. And that's what we start to break down so that they can actually fuel their training easier while thinking less about it is the ultimate goal. You know, nutrition should not be something that you're always thinking about. It should just start to come naturally when you put the foundations in place. So what's the deal with polarized sunglasses? Because you've heard me talk about how much I love Gooder sunglasses on the show before, and I really, really do. But I always say they're polarized along with all the other things that they are, like no slip, no bounce, super affordable. But what does polarized actually mean? So we all know that light travels in waves. And what polarizing does is it allows vertical waves to travel through the lens, but it blocks horizontal light waves. Why does this matter? Why is this important and also really cool? Because it does things like reduce glare, reduce haze, and allow you to see things more crisply and clearly than you would in non-polarized sunglasses, which I think is super cool. So yes, every single pair of Gooder sunglasses is polarized. And yes, sunglasses from Gooder start at only $25. And that is before your discount code with RUNEXP. You get 15% off your next order using code RUN. EXP on gooder.com. And if you think sunglasses can't be functional, fun, and affordable, you are mistaken, my friend. So head now to gooder.com and get your next pair 15% off with code RUNEXP. That's R U N E X P on gooder.com. Look good, run gooder. So bringing it back to the plates, I know that there are a lot of depending on on which corner of the internet you decide to listen to, various people will tell you certain things like fruits and vegetables are poisonous. They all contain terrible phytotoxins that are going to, you know, destroy your cells or, <laughs> or, you know, carbohydrates are terrible for you. They cause obesity and cancer. And then people who are, you know, fat is really bad for you. You still need to follow a low fat diet. And so when we, when we're advocating for something like the plates as a tool, looking at these balanced meals, like, there's, there's room for everything and there should probably be a little something of everything in your diet. 
Exactly. Um, it, it covers everything. Um, and I think, you know, when I first described the athlete plates, I didn't mention dietary fat and that is in every meal. Let's not forget that. Um, and that amount changes as your training increases too, because, you know, dietary fat certainly does not make you fat. It's actually really great for fat soluble vitamins and, um, you know, especially hormones and specifically females, your menstrual cycle. Um, and so there is definitely room for everything with these athlete plates. And it does not demonize a specific food group. Even if you have an allergy or an intolerance, you can still very easily follow these groups by just inputting your favorite foods or the foods that work well with your body. Um, and that's what a dietitian can help you figure out is how to piece that all together. But there's no foods off limits with this style of eating. And that's what truly makes a healthy relationship with food over the long term. Something I hear in, in the way people talk about food, it seems to be this fear of too much, this like kind of pathological fear of eating too much of something as if like that's the worst thing in the world that that can happen. Um, and so what ends up happening is a lot of people eat too little. <laughs> Do you see this or hear this a lot in the people and the clients that you work with? Oh my gosh, every single one of them. I mean, I think the biggest problem is that we live in a fat phobic society. Everybody is afraid to gain weight, um, you know, and, and it's it's seen across the board, even in healthcare. Um, you know, there are doctors that, you know, think, I hate to say this, but it's true, like think less of people that are heavier, you know, maybe they automatically assume they're lazy or, but so much of our body weight is genetic. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing we really work on in my group. I don't necessarily say we all need to gain weight, but we all need to be, to overcome that fear of weight gain because the fear of weight gain is what can lead to underfueling. As I also hear a lot of people, especially, you know, newer runners or people who are returning to the sport is that they are shocked by how hungry they are all the time, um, yeah. which is normal. I mean, yeah. you're, you're asking your body to run. Running is hard. Even when it's easy, running is hard. And if you're hungry, that's your body trying to tell you something. Absolutely. And your body knows, you know, I mean, even from your infancy days, like when you were first born, you knew when you needed milk, your body knows. We start to lose that intuitive eating piece as we get older and we start to listen to all the, the things of diet culture and how much we're supposed to eat and what's normal. And, and we start to lose that intuitive eating piece. But um, overcoming, like I said, that fear of weight gain and making sure that you are eating enough is actually what's going to help your performance, help you recover, help you build muscle, help you get good sleep, um, and therefore just feel better um, from a day-to-day -day standpoint. So let's talk about the moderate plate, because I feel like this is a very accessible way to approach like how to structure a meal. It's where a lot of people are going to end up on many days, not every day, but many days. What does a moderate plate look like? Yeah, great question. And, and you're right. This is kind of like, I would say where most runners fall, you know, because we talk about intensity, like, oh, as the intensity increases, but, you know, the intensity of running is already pretty high. So you pretty much naturally fall into this moderate training day plate. But um, so imagine you've got your plate, right? So you've got, it's kind of nicely broken up into almost thirds. You've got about a third of it, um, carbohydrates. You could choose more whole grains depending on, you know, where, what your training looks like. 
about a third of it is vegetables. Um, and then about a quarter to a third of it is lean protein. And then you still want to make sure that you are adding in those dietary fats that I had previously mentioned, um, which I'll give an example, but don't measure. Um, it's about a tablespoon per meal. So um, I think it would be helpful if we we talked that out. You know, I let's Let's, what does that look like for you? You know, we had given the oatmeal example, but one of my favorite cookbooks is, of course, the Shalane Flanagan cookbooks. Um, and in her second book, which I always mess up the name, Run Fast, Cook Fast, Eat Slow, I think it is, um, she has a lot of recipes that are bowls. And so you can build your own bowl. And I love that. And I know we talked about bowls are not plates. Yes, but you can still make this work. So, okay, you start with your foundation, you start with your carbohydrates rice, quinoa, barley, um, you know, some sort of pasta. That's, that's the base of that bowl. That's about a third of your plate there. And then you can add your lean protein. You can add, um, you know, chicken or fish, or if you prefer something like tofu or tempeh, you can add that in. And then you can add your vegetables, raw or cooked. It doesn't matter to me, whichever suits you in that meal. And then fat is like your topping. That's where you can add avocado or like a dressing or an oil or like a tahini sauce. And a lot of the recipes in Shalane's books follow the athlete. Like they, they include everything, including dietary fat. She's a big proponent of that for hormonal health. Um, so I hope that gives you some ideas and you can take that and run with it in so many different ideas and have so many different meals. Sometimes too, I mean, everybody's so busy now that it can be hard to feel like when you are in the kitchen looking for something that checks all the boxes for your plate or for your bowl. This is when meal prepping or at least ingredient prepping, I feel like is a really helpful tool. Like if you just make a bunch of these like basic kind of things to have around that you can then create bowls. I love bowls. I really do. Um, bowls or plates, or, you know, maybe even a savory oat, you know, is your, is the base of your bowl. That's going to be helpful because if you don't have the options available to you, of course, you're going to get decision fatigue and like have a meltdown in the kitchen every single time you have to go eat something. Exactly. I mean, and a lot of the women that I work with are like, I don't want to eat the same thing day after day. And I do not blame you. And I don't even advocate for that because we want variety in our diet. So you could, like Elizabeth said, you could make a big batch of quinoa on Sunday and maybe that'll take you like three days through the week or a big batch of rice. And that can be like the staple, but you can change out the vegetables. You can change out the proteins or you can take that rice and have a rice bowl. And then maybe the next day you have a burrito with rice in it. You know, it's a longer run day or a harder workout day, you can add more carbs by adding that tortilla in, you know, you can maybe turn it into soup. Um, there's so many things you can do. And the other thing is don't forget like frozen vegetables are great. And so if you, you know, don't have time to, to wash and cut up all your fresh veggies and make a big salad, that's okay. You can still buy the like, you know, five minute microwave um, vegetable bags and keep it in your freezer for when you're in a pinch. And, you know, even if you're having, you know, like we had lasagna this week with no vegetables and I just made some frozen veggies and we had them on the side just to kind of complete that plate. Let's talk about the role of fiber. Mm, um, yeah. Fiber is good for you, but yeah. as endurance runners, there are times when we want to deprioritize fiber in our diets. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So you had said it earlier about decreasing the blueberries in your oatmeal, and I don't know if everybody picked up on that. And so I'm glad you asked. With fiber, fiber's great. Whole grains, great. 
but not before a run. And so it depends on the athlete. Some people can like eat Thanksgiving dinner and go run a half marathon afterwards. Um, so it just depends on who you are. But most of the women that I work with or runners, I should say that I work with, I do work mostly with women, but, but runners in general, you need to look at decreasing your fiber sometimes the night before that morning run um, in order to minimize bathroom stops on that run. Um, fiber is going to help you go to the bathroom, which is ultimately a good thing. Not so much when you're on, on a run, especially not during a race. So looking at decreasing your fiber the night before sometimes, definitely the morning of or the meal before. If you're running in the afternoon or evening, your lunch or your breakfast should be lower in fiber. Um, and that's why I don't believe that there are good and bad foods because you know lower fiber foods certainly play a role in our diet. They definitely have a place in our diet. And that can be really hard too. I mean, again, talking about the, the, where we're getting our nutrition information from, um, mm -hmm. you know, context matters, eating a certain way, like a super high fiber diet. And you've also been making a lot of bathroom stops on your runs. Those two things might be related. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I what a lot of people miss is what you eat the day before does affect the next day. Um, and so, you know, I had one runner who was eating a high fiber dinner and she just couldn't get the bathroom stops under control. She's like, you know what? It is. It's that meal before the night before something, you know, 12 hours ahead of time can still have that effect. And you know what? I'll be honest. Sometimes I don't care. I'm going to eat that high fiber dinner and I am going to stop and go to the bathroom on the run. Like as long as you know, there's a bathroom stop on the run and you know that you know how to fix it. So it doesn't happen on race day. You don't necessarily have to always choose the low fiber option. Like I said, I'm just, I know there's a bathroom stop at mile one and I'm going to do an out and back and I'm going to, I'm going to hit that bathroom and I don't really care. What other situations where are there, where an athlete might choose a plate for a day that doesn't align with the day that they have written on their calendar. Like maybe it's a down week or after a race, are those rest day plates? Yeah. Great question. And this is where that listening to your body comes in handy here. So let's use the example of maybe it's the day after, um, we kind of talked a little bit about the day after long runs or the day after a race is really important. You might feel like this is a rest day. Like I'm not planning on moving too far from this couch today. Um, you know, maybe you might stroll to the mailbox or take the trash out, but maybe you're not moving and you're like, yeah, I don't need carbohydrates. I don't need, you know, a moderate plate today. But that sometimes can be so wrong, if, especially if you're hungry, you need to eat. And if you are craving carbohydrates, there is a reason for that. And that is what your body needs that day. And it's likely because that's something that you were missing the day before, but it's not always a perfect science that way either. And so, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and assign the day after a race should definitely be a moderate training day plate, but the day after a race or the day after a long run, or even that like down week of your training, your body is using that time to rejuvenate itself, to repair at the cellular level, to get ready for the next big event. And so if you're withholding nutrition, calories or nutrients, 
you're not giving your body the full benefit of that recovery time. So allow your body to feel its cravings, allow yourself to respond to those cravings. And it might end up looking like a moderate training day plate or shoot, maybe your breakfast is a a bagel and you didn't run that day. That's okay. Your body is recovering. I get this question a lot in the context of tapering for as we're heading into the fall and fall racing season is basically upon us tapering for big races and then recovery after races. Why am I so hungry in my taper? And then they have run their race. Why am I still so hungry after my race? And it's not, you know, explaining all of what you've just said, like your body is repairing, like, you know, you you don't reset at midnight, like this is an ongoing process. Half marathons and marathons take weeks to recover from properly, but it's like, it's the fear. It's like that fear, that kind of like terror of my, my hunger is out of my control. And I'm, I'm, that frightens me. Yeah, exactly. And I truly believe that, you know, the more you try to control your food intake, the more out of control around food you feel. And so when you surrender to my body is asking for food and specifically carbohydrates, and I don't know why, but I'm going to respond to that, that hunger cue and that craving. That's when you really start to see gains in your training and your relationship with food. Speaking of this, are there signs, like, I want to say, if we, if we think of hunger and I will say like even cravings, like, oh, I want this specifically, or I really want that specifically as our body trying to tell us something, are there certain situations where our body is trying to tell us that we're doing something wrong, that like we're, we're eating at the wrong times or we're eating too much of something or not enough of something else? Mm, that's a good question. And my first thought as you're saying this is, you know, there's all these like charts out there. If you Google it, don't even don't bother Googling it because it's going to send you down a rabbit hole. But you know, where it's like, if you're craving chocolate, what you really need is this. And you know, I've seen a lot of this throughout my nutrition career. I think that one's like magnesium. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's what I want when I want chocolate. (laughs) I just want chocolate. Um, And so and you can try all those things. But you know what's going to happen if you're craving chocolate, it's going to circle back to chocolate. And so you're going to have things like almonds and like all in spinach and all this other stuff. And then you're going to circle right back to chocolate. Um, so you might as well just eat the chocolate and be happy and move on. But, um, you know, generally speaking here more so like if you are like some of the biggest things I see in, in the women in my program is, you know, okay, I'm having this huge 3 PM crash. Like why am I so tired in the afternoon? What is happening? Sure. There's a number of reasons here, but likely it can be two major things that that is what I typically see. And that's maybe not eating enough earlier in the day, right? We like maybe we skip breakfast and then maybe we have lunch and we're just exhausted by 3 p.m. If you're not eating enough throughout the day, you're gonna crash at 3 p.m. You gotta bring energy in to expend energy. The other big thing here in this particular example is if you are eating like only carbohydrates, you know, so kind of the opposite side of this coin, if you are not balancing your plate or even balancing your snacks for snacks, I usually would recommend a carbohydrate paired with a protein or a fat. So like cheese and crackers, chips and guacamole, um, apple and peanut butter, something like that that's going to help your blood sugar stay balanced. If you're having a blood sugar spike and crash, maybe you you just ate crackers, 
that's not going to hold you. That's not going to stick with you. So if you're really feeling that energy slump, that's your body telling you something like, like, Hey, we need to figure this out. Like I said, maybe it's not enough or it's too much of just carbs, not enough protein is what I see as well. Personally, it's pretty amazing what eating enough breakfast will do for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Really, it sets you up. I mean, I always think of like breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but it really is. And you know what? If you're not hungry in the morning, I don't care. You should still eat because what other otherwise what happens is you build this cycle of not eating in the morning. And then like I said, maybe you eat at lunch, but maybe you're still not even that hungry at lunch and you're feeling really good because you think you, you know, are doing quote good because you're not eating a lot of calories. But what happens in the evening? Oh, you are so hungry. Oh, you get home from work and there's just all the options and you eat and eat and eat. And then guess what happens? Of course, you're not hungry the next morning because you ate so much at night. And so we need to choose to be different and choose to break that cycle. And we do that by starting to eat breakfast in the morning and then we can set our day up for success. Let me ask you what role um, does caffeine play in this? Because I've gotten enough questions at this point where I'm like, okay, this is clearly a thing that that is you know, somewhere, um, treating questions that have treated or equivalent, you know, using caffeine is the equivalent of food. Like Mm. does caffeine provide me energy? Can caffeine replace, you know, this or that, or using caffeine in the context for performance, but like, what does caffeine do in our bodies? Like what is, what is happening when we ingest caffeine if we're drinking coffee or tea or even using caffeine in a, in a sport product? Yeah, great question. So caffeine can improve your performance. It can make your performance feel easier is really how the science is worded. But that doesn't mean more is better. It's about the equivalent to a cup of coffee. Um, And you need to practice it before race day, of course, because caffeine may make you have to go to the bathroom. So practice that before race day. Know how it affects your body. If you are taking a gel with caffeine, Don't save it for mile 13 in a marathon. Take it early. It's going to take time for that caffeine to get going in your body. But from a day-to-day standpoint, caffeine is totally fine. However, it's fine in the morning in small doses. And I cannot say this enough. It is not breakfast. It does not. Caffeine alone does not provide calories. Sure, your latte provides calories. Still isn't breakfast but it can go with your breakfast. And so caffeine can be an appetite suppressant, right? Sometimes we're like, I'm just gonna not eat and just have my coffee so that I'm not hungry. I hear that all the time. I've been there myself thinking this is gonna hold me over till lunch. No, the only proper way to hold yourself over to lunch is to eat a snack. And so caffeine can go with your meal, but it should not ever be your meal. I also used to subsist on like black coffee, <laughs> like right. through most of the day and then wonder why it was ravenous at night. And it's like, girl, you didn't eat. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is a little off topic, but um, on the topic of coffee, you know, if you truly like black coffee, more power to you. But I would challenge you. Do you really like black coffee or are you afraid of the calories that come with something like a latte or like, you know, adding milk to your coffee? And, you know, I'm not necessarily advocating that we dump a bunch of sugar in our coffee either, but I want you to enjoy your coffee the way you like it, not the way society or Instagram tells you to like it. I go back and forth with that sometimes. So if you like coffee ice cream, you like flavored, you like cream and sugar coffee. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. I like and that's recently, okay. Yeah. And I, I just feel like recently I discovered my love for lattes and that's partly where this is stemming from is that like, I think in the past when I was really wrapped up in diet culture myself, I would be nervous to like, oh, I don't know what's in that latte. I don't know what milk they use. I don't know how many calories that is. I, I'm just going to get coffee. And when I realized how good a latte is, I've been missing out. And I just don't want anybody else to miss out on the joy of a latte. Well, and you're so lucky here because you're, I know you're in Japan right now. Um, I've discovered the glory that is matcha lattes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. They're so good. And be able to order one without worrying like, what did they make this with? How much sugar is in this? You know, my only concern was I ordered one recently and it was like the afternoon. I was like, I know there's caffeine in this, but I really want it anyways. That was so freeing as opposed to worrying like, oh, you know, it sh I'm not supposed to drink my calories. I'll just get black coffee instead or an Americano. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. No. Yeah. Matcha lattes are so good. Um, the other funny thing about being in Japan is when you order a coffee, it's like microscopic compared to what's offered in the States. And so my other mom friend and I always joke, like when we go through the coffee line, we'll take two, yeah, two for each of us. <laughs> two Japanese coffees is like one regular American small coffee. It really is. <laughs> yeah. But okay. Anyways, neither here nor there. <laughs> Back to that liquid calories, that drinking calories thing. Um, this I also hear a lot of people that they are afraid to use, uh, even just to drink sport drinks or use liquid fuel products. And, you know, again, not advocating that we walk around with a big gulp of Pepsi. Um, but it's okay to get some of our calories from liquid form. Absolutely. Um, and you know what, for those of you that are carb loading or trying to hit, you know, more of an athlete plate, you need liquid calories because if you're trying to like, you know, hit that carb amount on things like blueberries and sweet potatoes, oh my gosh, you are going to feel so full and so like just yeah, just so full. You're not going to be able to get that nutrition in. So liquid calories are actually a savior when we're trying to, like I said, obviously fuel on long runs. That's what it's made for. Um, but even as we're helping to carb load and hit those, um, I hate to say macro counts, but you know, increase our carbohydrates on those long run days. It's a really easy, easy way to do that. Even juice, like I feel like juice has been demonized, but like a glass of orange juice with your breakfast to help you hit a higher carbohydrate amount and feel that energy shift is great on those long run days. Yeah, we're actually I'm working through this for a couple of my clients and me personally heading into the fall racing season of adding a mix the night before or something that we sip on the morning of big races. Because, you know, like you said, you know, some of these foods to get the carbohydrates that you need, it's bulky. You're like, I can't eat 12 bagels, you know, but I can drink some Martin, you know, 320. <laughs> yeah. I can do that. And I, that one of them is going to go down a lot easier than the other. Exactly. And, you know, that's way back in the beginning, I had talked about when we shift and we add more carbohydrates into our diet, we want to decrease vegetables. And people might be thinking, why would I ever want to decrease vegetables? And if we're always eating this big old salad with our lunch or this big serving of vegetables, you're not going to have room for the carbohydrates you need. And so that's where, and I think you had somebody on just recently, Elizabeth, about, you know, if we're trying to be too healthy, we're trying to always eat clean and always eat high fiber and always eat vegetables. There's just not room in our bellies for, for all the food that we do need as athletes. And so being too healthy can actually become unhealthy. 
Yes. Or eating um, high volume foods. So you don't, you know, like filling up on super high volume foods. So you don't feel hungry, even though, you know, you're technically not eating enough, you know, when you're, when it gets into your digestive system, like your body's going to figure out if it's enough or not, no matter how high volume it actually was. Yeah, exactly. Your body knows if you, if you listen to it. Something else I want to ask you about kind of the thread of this conversation, we talked about, you know, how much, when, how people, how athletes can structure, you know, their meals, generally speaking, but this kind of thread of the way that nutrition and, and beliefs about food and diets and diet culture, things are marketed to us as consumers. Something that I have seen recently that has really ticked me off and it bums me out because this is from a brand that I genuinely like and use. It's an electrolyte product, not salt stick. I'm going to say this, but it's not salt stick, but this is marketing targeted ads I've been receiving from an electrolyte product that is telling me that it's all of the energy, all of the things, you know, all mm. of the good things in their electrolyte product because they don't have sugar. That their mm. product has no sugar and therefore it is superior to other sport beverages. Now, I'll be I'll be honest with you, I do believe that this product in their marketing is comparing themselves to something like Gatorade, which doesn't actually contain a lot of electrolytes for what it is. Um, it's not, doesn't make it bad. It just means that what you're using it for may not be very helpful. But this mm-hmm. this kind of marketing really ticks me off because it's it's telling people elite, like not elite, but endurance athletes for whom this product is made, um, endurance athletes, hey, you don't eat sugar, take our electrolyte product instead. That's all you need. And that's mm, makes me so mad. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think it, and it's easy to fall into that trap, um, you know, where we think sugar is so bad, but sugar is exactly what your body is running on, not electrolytes. Electrolytes do help, but sugar is your body's or carbohydrates, but sugar is the simplest form of carbohydrates, is your body's preferred source of energy all throughout the day, but especially on your run. Even your brain uses carbohydrates to function. So sugar is not a bad thing, especially on the run. It's just these little things. And I, you know, once you kind of have your, your eyes open to it, you know, to look for it's the way that some products are marketed, even when the product itself is good. And there are some absolute crap products like out there, like, how are you allowed to sell that? This is terrible. But there are some legitimately good products that are marketed in a way where I'm just like, why are you, why is this the messaging that you're choosing here? (laughs) Yeah, it it is. It, well, and they know how to sell things. They know, you know, like that if it, if people think it's going to make them lose weight or, you know, if it's making it. And honestly, you guys, that's one of the red flags, I would say, for purchasing a product. If it is making claims such as weight loss or um, just any sort of claim that feels a little far fetched um, or is making any major promises like this is going to improve your performance by X percentage, like I would automatically be skeptical, like show me the research, show me the science. And when you purchase a product, specifically a supplement, please make sure that it has been tested by a third party. Um, That means that it has a little stamp on the bottom usually um, that says like it's like USP or um, informed sport or there's a few different like verifying um, processes it can go through. And what that means is that product has undergone testing to prove 
what is inside that product is the same as what is listed on the label. Otherwise, if it does not have that stamp, there that it can it can be different what's inside of it versus what's on the label, including things like metal and like other toxins that we don't even know about. Or if you're somebody who's in a position to get drug tested after a race, ban substances, right? Yeah, I know exactly. this is a, you know every athlete. Yes, if you if you place in a marathon major, you're going to get drug tested. I don't care who you are. I mean, Sarah Sellers got drug tested after Boston in 2018, and she was just like some nobody at the time. But they were like, hey, you came in second. Like, we have to drug test you. And if she'd been taking a product unbeknownst to her, hopefully, you know, we don't want anybody to intentionally dope. But like if she can take taken a product that, you know, contains something she wasn't supposed to be taking, there you go. Like that's then then you are now labeled somebody who takes banned substances, which we don't want. Yeah. Just by, just by taking something that wasn't third party tested or you weren't exactly sure what's in it. That's the trouble though. And it's the marketing really preys on people's fears and weaknesses, right? We're all looking for that quick fix. Like we're all, you know, this, this episode, the topic is, you know, building your athlete plate. There's nothing in this conversation that's going to be like an overnight, maybe, you know, maybe will change your life, but it's not going to change your life overnight. Mm -hmm. Nothing that you do is going to be like, and 24 hours, 48 hours, two weeks later, all was right with the world. And especially if somebody's charging you a whole bunch of money for something, I would be cautious, especially if it's like in a, in a can or a powder. Yes, exactly. Like I said, anything that makes a claim that feels a little outrageous, or almost like, you know, the, the saying too good to be true. It's pro it probably is too good to be true. And you should maybe consider a different, um, a different option. And that's true for even things that are like promising, like weight loss. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of just like even diets, I should say. Um, you know, if somebody is like, this is the diet that's going to help look well, yeah, probably not because 95% of diets fail. So it's probably not the one that doesn't. Um, you know, I would challenge that before you dive right in. Going back to the plates, something that um, that I, I get a lot of questions about as well. I get, If I say that I get a lot of questions about it, like guys, all I get are questions all day long. Trust me, I've got a question about everything at this point. Um, you know, when I when communicating about the nutritional requirements for an athlete and, you know, they're saying, yeah. And so, you know, and on my, on my runs that are 90 plus minutes, you know, I'm always making sure to fuel. How does that fueling, how do my in-run carbohydrates fit in with my carbohydrate needs for that day? Mm. I would say it adds to it, like it's in addition to it. Um, if you were to truly sit down with a dietitian and look at how many carbohydrates you really need on those long run days, you would see that in order to really hit the amount of macronutrients or specifically carbohydrates you need that day, you're going to have to fuel during that long run, um, especially because if your long run is two and a half or three hours, that's a large portion of your day that you're out there running. So in order to hit that carbohydrate amount throughout the day, you need that on the run fuel. Um, and your body needs it obviously to get through that run. Sometimes I I've heard from people who say that they, you know, they don't like fueling on their runs because, um, they don't want to take in more than they burn. There's mm. a lot to, un there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, First of all, you're, you can't ever take in more than you burn on a run. Your, your body doesn't absorb stuff that quickly. Continue. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, we shouldn't even be thinking that way as we're running. We should be, first of all, running for the joy of running and running for the way that it makes our body feel not, we shouldn't really not be running, especially training that hard, doing those long runs for specifically for weight loss. But like I said earlier, the biggest thing that we need to remember here is that if we fuel our body correctly, we're going to be able to run longer on that day, but also longer in terms of that whole training cycle without getting injured. So, you know, I would push the thought of calories aside and, and challenge that fear of weight gain, um, you know, and push that aside or learn to work through that because you're going to feel so much better when you're fueling on that run. And in addition to the proper athlete plate. So let's say somebody, you know, has been implementing plates and playing, paying attention to their training load and they are training and they are gaining weight. Yeah. Um, so on that note, then, you know, there's a variety of reasons it can happen. One of them is actually under eating can cause that weight gain. And that might be a very big surprise to some of you, but under eating can lead to weight gain. Um, certainly not timing your nutrition correctly. Let me, let me ask you about that a little bit, because I've heard this too, and I think people misunderstand because the, the, the argument to that is always calories in, calories out. You can't gain weight on a deficit. That's not what you're saying. You're saying Correct. it's about under eating behaviors can lead to gaining weight. Why? Well, true. And so a couple things here. So on, if you are chronically under fueling, eventually your body is going to slow down its metabolism to protect itself and shut down things like your menstrual cycle and slow down your heart rate. And, um, but your body is going to protect itself to the best as possible. So you what you'll find is if you start eating less, your body is going to slow that metabolism to match that, to protect itself. And so then you're going to have to eat less and less and less in order to maintain that weight loss over time. So that's part of it. But then you had said under eating behaviors and this, this could be a whole podcast in itself, um, but which can come back anytime, Elizabeth and talk, but um, you know, what, ha what happens here is if you are under fueling like, or under eating specifically, like I said earlier in the day, and then binge eating at night, that's definitely going to over time lead to weight gain. Or, you know, maybe it's from a day-to-day -day standpoint, like you under eat for an entire day or an, an entire week. And then, you know, you quote, fall off the wagon and then there you go. You had, you know, you had one cookie and now you just had 12 cookies and a piece of cake and some pizza because you thought, well, what the heck I'm already, you know, messing it up. So that type of eating can certainly lead to weight gain as well. So what are other situations in which, you know, an athlete, let's say, let's say for this hypothetical exercise, let's say they are, you know, they're in the middle of it. They're training for a half marathon. They are implementing the plates. They are fueling on their long runs and the scale has gone up a couple pounds. I, I, honestly, my answer would be, don't worry about it. You know, part of it is water weight. Um, as you eat more carbohydrates, your body holds on to more water, making you thus more hydrated. That's a good thing. Um, it's, you know, my runners that have the most successful training cycle are not losing weight during that marathon training cycle. You know, they're building muscle. Muscle, of course, weighs more than fat. So, you know, I wouldn't stress over your weight. I actually encourage my runners to not weigh themselves um, unless there's a, some other particular reason. But that number can start to get into our head and really derail the way that we're fueling our body. 
But like I said, there's water weight happening. There's inflammation in our body um, during a, a marathon training cycle. Um, and then of course the, the gaining of muscle. And, you know, I, I hear it from, from women that I work with and women that follow my account or people that follow my account, they'll always say, I had the best training cycle when I carried a couple extra pounds. And I, for some people who are so used to feeling like being thinner is going to automatically make them faster, or that's like the key to unlocking becoming a faster runner, that's a really kind of like mind shift for them to think, you know, maybe I, if I start fueling my body correctly, I might gain a couple pounds, but I also might drop minutes off my time. Yeah. And it's very backwards from, you know, what's always kind of been preached is, you know, thinner is faster. And that's not true if you're underfueled or lacking muscle or lacking the proper recovery. So carrying that extra little bit of weight, if it's, you know, done in the right way with the proper fueling and with, you know, strength training and, you know, everything, it can lead to improved performance, but more so improved quality of life. You know, sometimes gaining a little bit of weight helps you gain a lot of life. We talked a little bit briefly about like being able to make those choices and not, you know, worry about, you know, I, I shouldn't be eating that because it's bad for me. I'm not allowed to eat that or, you know, concerned about liquid calories mm. or, you know, if I eat one, I'm going to eat 35. You know, that's mm. the kind of freedom that Courtney's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I like I think I said this earlier, but do not label food as good versus bad. Food can all fit somewhere. That white bread, perfect before a run. That cookie, you don't need to run 10 miles to earn that cookie. You can have a cookie on your rest day and move on with your day because that's a good relationship with food. The red flag to me that says you need some help with your nutrition is when you have one cookie and you're upset about it and you're thinking about it all day and you run extra miles to make up for it. Or if you have one cookie, you, you have the rest of them on the plate because you feel like you've already ruined your day. Having a cookie does not mean you had a bad day. You know, a bad day, there's far worse bad days that can happen out there. So if these are things that you're struggling with, these are signs that you do need help from a dietitian that that's, you know, specifically works on, like I do, the intuitive eating piece, the relationship with food piece. You know, I'm one of them, but there are some other really great ones out there as well. And if, if you just kind of feel bad, if you're like kind of going through your day thinking, I never really feel great and I can't figure out why. Like I, I'm technically doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of feeling fatigued and foggy and I do get these weird slumps and my running's okay, but it's not great. And I am feeling on my runs, but I typically have GI issues. Like it doesn't have to be a catastrophe for you to just need a little tune up. Like I, I you know, I started working with a dietitian earlier this year and like, I wish I'd done it 10 years ago. Like it has just been absolutely life-changing. That's so good to hear. And, and it's so true. Don't, don't wait. I mean, I've even started working with a few younger athletes because they're noticing how things are could spiral or could hurt their training, you know, because things like even under fueling or just a proper or an imbalance in proper nutrition, it can be okay for a short period of time, but it can definitely, and I should say will definitely catch up to you. So like Elizabeth said, just those like little signs of like feeling foggy, you're feeling low energy, your training's kind of plateauing and you're just not feeling great. Let's look at nutrition. It can be other things too, like stress and sleep. Um, I think those get overlooked really, you know, you're stressed to the max, but like you want to blame it on nutrition um, and they do go hand in hand, but you know, don't ever be shy to reach out to a dietitian and, you know, and get some help. 
Do you have any resources for people if they want to learn a little bit more? I know you mentioned one of the Chilean's cookbooks. You mentioned intuitive eating. Are there places that people can go, books they can read or accounts like you, uh, of course, of course, accounts like you that they can follow and learn a little bit more about this? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let me think here. Okay. So I had mentioned earlier the um, teamusa.org has the athlete plate links. Um, that's kind of where I jump back to when I'm talking about that with my athletes. Um, that's a great website. In terms of books, um, the intuitive eating book and workbook are great. Um, not sports nutrition science related, but good for intuitive eating. On the intuitive eating front, there's a book that I've been recommending to um, the women in my program, and it's called The Effort Diet. Um, it's fantastic read if you are okay with some vulgar language and um, looking to heal your relationship with food. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, so that book is really good. Um, from more of a sports science um, point of view, um, there's a book by Rebecca McConville called Finding Your Sweet Spot. It's a really short read, but if you're dealing with underfueling or maybe not sure if you're underfueling, it's a great, like, it's almost like a long PDF made into a book um, that you can be like, yes, I have these things. This is abnormal. And it's a really short, good guide, I think. Um, those are great. Um, trying to think what else comes to mind with, um, I have a, like a sports nutrition for endurance athletes textbook, but that's more of a textbook. Um, so like I said, I would really gravitate towards obviously my Instagram account. Um, and then the effort diet book for relationship with food and the intuitive eating book is also excellent. And I'll just want to, I always feel like this is important to bring up. We talk about under fueling and any person of any size can be under fueled. I think we typically think of like, oh, you're only underfueled if you're like, you know, chronically underweight and you get stress fractures and you're like, you know, clinical definition of anorexia. Any body size can be an underfueled body. 100%. That could not be more accurate. And sometimes, at least in, in my line of work now, what I'm seeing is it's mostly those people that are in bigger bodies that are underfueling and nobody's noticing it because nobody is saying, Hey, are you okay? You don't look so good. You know, they're not catching it and you feel like you can get away with it then, you know, as you start to look thin, people start to notice it more. But sometimes when you're in a bigger body, it's easier to disguise that underfueling and it does not make it right. It does not make it healthy or safe. And also, I mean, the messaging, especially for people in bigger bodies is eat less, move more and eat less, right? But for an athlete, you got the move part down, move more, eat more. <laughs> yeah. And the absolute like take home message, I would say, if you've, you know, if you've made it this far through the podcast, hopefully you've listened and, and gained knowledge already, but, um, you know, healthy behaviors and healthy habits make healthy people. Weight does not define your health. And that I think is the biggest myth in our healthcare is, you know, this BMI chart, which is a whole nother discussion, but you know, your weight does not necessarily make you healthy or unhealthy. Healthy habits, healthy behaviors make you healthy. Courtney, thank you so much for being here today. It's such a great, I'm so glad we got to catch up like on microphone. <laughs> yeah, we do. I love our Instagram lives too. So if you guys haven't checked those out, it's, we haven't been doing them as often, but because we've both, I think, gotten busier, but um, it's so fun. And, you know, if I ever get to move back, back East, I mean, we're not going to be in Japan forever, but um, you know, I would, I would love to, to see you in person, Elizabeth, and get to go for a run. I feel like we would just have so much to talk about. 
Absolutely. And so I know we did one recently that I know a couple of my clients mentioned, like, thank you so much for doing that. We did a Instagram live. It's on your page, eat well, run better about dealing with negative comments about your body as an athlete. Like if somebody mm. were to say something for you to you about your body, you know, in the context of you as a runner. And that was a really good conversation. I'm, I'm glad we had that one. Yeah. It's so important and so needed. Um, yeah. So definitely check that out. If you haven't already, it is on my page. Um, you can find it there, but yeah. And you know, Elizabeth and I are always happy to do Instagram lives to, to cover, you know, in these like kind of important topics. So if you have anything, you know, don't be shy to either DM me or Elizabeth. It sounds like you get a lot of questions in your DMS. Um, but that's cause you have to explain running to everybody. I do. I do. <laughs> And I was telling somebody recently, like the great irony of this is that there is something about running that is just inexplicable. Yeah, <laughs> and yet it here is. I am trying to trying to quantify it all, and I'm like, but there's some magic in this. <laughs> it is. It's I I don't know. This is a little off topic, but um, I love the show Friends, and there's an episode where Phoebe is running and she's like flailing her arms and she's like like parading through the park, and I'm like, that's what like we don't want to look like that, but that's what we want to feel when we run, just this like carefree, not stressed about nutrition, not stressed about our form. Just, just get out there and enjoy it and be free. Yeah. And she gets mad because she loves to run. And then Rachel's like, I don't want to run with you because you look like a spaz, but Phoebe's just having an amazing time. <laughs> yes. We need to channel that like that inner Phoebe. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, told you, I told you we'd have a lot to talk about on the run. Courtney, mm. um, what do you do? I know you have a couple of groups. Tell us how people can work with you if they want to work with you more closely rather than just follow you on Instagram, which they should at eatwell.runbetter. Thank you. Um, so yeah, definitely follow my account. Drop me a line. Say hey in the DMs. I love that. I love to get to know the people that follow me. Um, and then my website is eatwellrunbetter.com. Pretty simple. Um, you can find that through my Instagram as well. But the main group that I run is a three-month program that balances intuitive eating, these athlete plates, how to fuel your training properly. What I found is I cannot just run a program um, saying, this is what we need to eat. Because if you don't have that foundation, if you don't feel comfortable eating enough, I can't tell you to go eat that bagel if that bagel is scary to you. So we work on your relationship with food and body first and foremost, and then we look at how to feel your training right. And that is, that's the majority of what I do. Um, that is like my, um, you want to say like my key program, my signature program. Um, and I've been running that same program for over three years now. I cannot believe it. And I have had so much success with it. It's been truly amazing to watch um, these women change their lives. If you're like, hey, you know what? My relationship with food is solid. I have no fear. I am not feeling guilty for that cookie. I just don't know what to eat on these runs. I've got you. We can work through that as well. I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching as well um, for those, like I said, that, that feel good about their relationship and just need um, some fine tuning. We can definitely sit down um, via video chat. Um, obviously, I'm in Japan right now. You don't have to be in Japan. Um, I can see you wherever you are in the world. That's fantastic. And, and everything that Courtney just mentioned and her website and Instagram will be linked in the show notes. If you're not following her already, you definitely should. And I, you know, I really love that you offer a program like that. That's, that is more than just here's what to eat. Here's how to eat it. Because so much of what, and obviously if anybody's listened to the podcast more than one episode, you'll know that the topic of fueling and the relationship we have with our bodies and ourselves and is such an important part of this. And so many of us have a pretty effed up relationship with food, wherever that came from and whatever that looks like. And so, you know, especially as we work towards being, 
you know, my, my pitch is always, do you want to be a faster runner? Then we got to figure out the nutrition component because you know, that's not only is it going to make you a healthier human, it's going to make you a happier runner. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said happier runner, because that's what people always tell me is like, oh my gosh, I've like, I've skipped pre-run fuel my whole life and now I'm having it and running is like enjoyable again. Yeah. When you fuel, it feels much better. Yeah. Most of your runs should feel pretty good. Like that yeah. if, if all of your runs suck, something's wrong. That is a, that's a red flag. Speaking of yes. red flags. <laughs> Courtney, okay. thank you so much for being here. It's always great to chat. Oh, Elizabeth, thank you for having me. I cannot believe I was your first ever guest two I years know. ago. So it's so fun to be back. And you'll be back again, I guarantee. Oh, yeah, I would love to. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.